like my new robe, and make sure I don't trip on these stairs coming up. Um, it's a joy being back. Happy Father's Day. Um, you know, when Jennifer and I moved to Colorado Springs, um, it was one of the harder moves we've ever had to experience, and it was largely because of this church, and we knew that we would have to leave you all. Um, we love you all. We miss you. Uh, we're so thankful for the support that you've provided to us this past year, both uh, financially and with prayers. Um, you are making our ministry a reality. If you'd like to hear more about RUF, please grab me after the service. I'd love to tell you about all the ways that God is at work in Colorado Springs. Um, and you can also sign up for our newsletter, which is in the lobby. All right, glad to be here. You can be seated. So, at the Golden Globes two years ago, comedian Jim Carrey, one of my favorite actors, he walked out onto the stage to present an award, and as he's walking to the podium, the announcer gives him this stirring introduction. He says, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. All the celebrities stood up and began to applaud loudly. One of their heroes was coming onto the stage But you could tell that Jim Carrey was uncomfortable with the -the over-the-top introduction. So he said these words to the most famous people in the world. He said, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream, no sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true, and I could stop this. This terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. See, all the celebrities were laughing hysterically at first, but by the end of his monologue, their laughter grew awkward and forced. You see, like a skilled surgeon, Jim Carrey had taken out a scalpel and exposed the reality behind their identity, identities wrapped in self-reliance, recognition, and fame. It was about 20 years prior, and no one can forget Sally Field's famous Academy Award acceptance speech. Up to that point, she had always come so close, but she was oh so far, she could never break through. But in 1984, she won the award she desperately craved. And the award she craved, it wasn't a little trophy that said Best Actress on the bottom. With tears streaming down her face, you remember what she cried out. She said, I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. You see what she craved? That's all she wanted. She wanted to be liked, to be loved. She desired to be blessed with the approval of the celebrity elite. The trophy was just a tangible sign of their blessing. This is why Jim Carrey's words pierced the hearts of his fellow celebrities a couple years ago. Like Sally Field, they desperately craved an award They wanted a blessing, but they didn't know where to find it. So instead, Jim Carrey takes out his scalpel of truth, and he exposed the hopeless nature of their pursuit. They were wrestling for blessing from something that could not bless them. 
And this is the story of our lives as well. Everyone is wrestling with something or someone for a blessing. We wrestle with our parents to bless us with their approval. We wrestle with our friends to bless us with their acceptance. We wrestle with our kids to bless us with their accomplishments. With our money to bless us with security and comfort. And we wrestle with our jobs to bless us with status and respect. But like that convicting song, our new favorite movie, The Greatest Showman, Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough for me. Why? Why are these things never enough? Because none of these things can give us the blessing we crave. None of these things can fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts, but on and on we wrestle, thinking to ourselves, maybe if I try just a little harder... Maybe if I just impose my willpower, if I get that promotion, or if my kid accomplishes this certain thing, or if I get some praise for my many accomplishments, then I'll be blessed. Or like my cadets at the Air Force Academy, if I only get a pilot slot, if I can just get a pilot slot, then I'll be happy. Then I can stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. In Genesis 25, uh, Jacob began his rivalry with Esau. You see, Jacob's entire life had been one long wrestling match with Esau for blessing. Literally from day one, Jacob has been grabbing the heel of his brother, trying to pull Esau down in order to pull himself up. If you couldn't tell by my cauliflower ears... Or if you've never talked to me for more than five minutes, uh, you would know that I'm a huge wrestling fan. I love like collegiate wrestling. It's uh, sometimes it can it can be uh, a little dangerous and uh, impose upon our family life. I love the sport of wrestling. Um, and in Genesis 32, we have the greatest wrestling match of all time. Um, so it should be no surprise why I chose this passage. Um, But here's the thing. It wasn't the wrestling match Jacob was expecting to wrestle. Okay? Jacob thought that Esau was his source of blessing. Jacob had been wrestling with Esau since day one. In Genesis 25, he tricks Esau into trading his birthright for a bowl of stew. In Genesis 27... He steals his brother's blessing from their blind father, Isaac. And then in Genesis 28, he has to run away because Esau is pursuing him and is going to kill him. So he runs away and goes and stays with his uncle Laban. But after 20 years, Jacob has been commanded by God to go home. But to get home, he would have to pass through the land of Edom first, which just happened to be where his brother Esau lived. To go home, he'd have to go through Esau. You see, everything in Jacob's life had led to this moment. And so the brothers prepare for one final battle to settle the score once and for all. But before the match begins, a stranger steps out on the mat, and he stakes his claim, and he says, if you want to get to Esau, you first have to go through me. So I invite you to pull out your Bibles or your bulletins 
And uh, let's, le- let's read this passage. We'll be looking at Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. Man, that light is bright. All right, Genesis 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Um, Thank you that you use it for your purposes to draw your people to yourself. Pray, Lord, that you will use my finite words this morning for your infinite purposes. Draw us to yourself and draw us to Jesus. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. So in April of 2011, I kissed my beautiful wife goodbye and my about two-month-old daughter, and I boarded a plane to Kandahar, Afghanistan for my second deployment. And as the plane took off, I remember just being so sad. I wiped tears from my face, and I just sat there speechless and scared. Um, Because in that moment, I realized that I was all alone. No family, no friends, no one but me heading into a war zone. I imagine these were the same emotions felt by Jacob in Genesis 32. You see, Jacob was a strategic military man. He was very deceptive with his strategies. See, he sends spies out, and they return from their reconnaissance mission, and they tell Jacob the bad news. His brother Esau is headed his way with 400 men. So Jacob comes up with another clever plan. First thing he does, he divides his people into two camps, so that if one camp happens to get wiped out, they can act as a diversion and give the second camp an opportunity to escape. The second thing he did was he sent these substantial, substantial gift to Esau, 550 animals, and he sent them in waves, so I like to imagine he sent 50 animals, and then 30 minutes later he'd send 50 more, and wave after wave would hit Esau, hoping to appease his brother so that his men would not attack Jacob's people. The third thing he did was he sent his family across the Jabbok River. Um, He had two wives, Leah and Rachel. He had 11 sons at this point who would become pretty important players in the biblical story. And he sends them across the river because he realized that it was probable that he would die. 
But his family would survive. His name would live on. So his, his master plan is now underway. And Jacob looks around, and like me on that plane, he realized that he is all alone. No family, no friends, no one, no one but Jacob. In the most frightening moment in his life, he is all by himself. And then all of a sudden, the text, just, it, it just it happens out of nowhere. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, this mysterious man just comes out of nowhere and like blindsides Jacob. And the two men wrestle from dusk to dawn. Neither one is giving up. You have to imagine that after a couple hours wrestling with this stranger, it must have started to dawn on Jacob that this was no mere man, that this guy was superior, that he was outmatched. But he got to hand it to Jacob. He just keeps on going. He keeps wrestling as if he is clueless about the identity of the man. But we, the readers, we, we have the inside scoop. We know the identity of the stranger. This was a theophany, a visible and tangible, in this instance, a tangible manifestation of God. Jacob was wrestling with the all-powerful God of the universe, and remarkably, he appears able to hold his own. Now, if you're like me, at this point, you're wondering, how is this possible? How is Jacob able to go toe-to-toe with God? You know, this sometimes drives my wife nuts, but I love to wrestle with my daughters, and it just happens I live in Colorado Springs, which is where the Olympic Training Center lies. So I have it circled on my calendar, L.A. Summer Olympics 2028. Watch out, world. The Chrysler girls are coming. <laughs> but my older daughter, she's, she's getting pretty good. Um, she, has this, she has a great little sweep single, snatch leg single, and it's awesome. It makes me so proud. It's, she's she's going to be a world killer one day. Anyway... You know, but until 2028, she gets to take me down. She gets to pick up my legs, jump on my chest. She gets to throw a half Nelson over my clunky head, and she gets to pin her old man. You see, she's pretty good for a seven-year-old. But I willingly accommodate my strength to her strength. In other words, I don't throw my weight around with her. Because if I did that, then she would learn Nothing from our wrestling matches. Likewise, by accommodating his divine strength, God is purposefully exhausting Jacob to teach him the most important lesson of his life. He wants Jacob to realize that all of his strength and all his self-reliance, it won't work this time. And then in an act of mercy... God decides to end the wrestling match by simply touching Jacob's leg before dawn so that Jacob wouldn't see his face and die. And God dislocates his hip with this simple touch. And from what I've read, a dislocated hip is like the most excruciating injury that the human body could experience. And as a wrestler, I know that without your hips, you can't generate any power. You are essentially helpless without your hips. You can't do much of anything in a wrestling match. You see, having previously depended upon his strength and self-reliance, his natural abilities, Jacob's natural powers were now crippled. 
All Jacob could do now was just hold on for dear life. Just cling. And then he cries out, I will not let you go until you bless me. And these words, they have been Jacob's motto his entire life. I will not let you go until you bless me. He's been saying those words as he clings to his brother's heel, trying to pull Esau down. I will not let you go. You see, Jacob thought Esau was his source of blessing. But now Jacob is helpless, exhausted, and he's crippled. And he's finally realizing that he had been wrestling with the wrong source all along. Every person throughout human history has this deep, deep longing. We were created with this deep, deep longing for God's blessing. It's how we're wired. It's, it's what we were made for. But our fallen nature and our broken world deceive us into believing that we can somehow find blessing apart from God. And listen, if you think a physical wrestling match with God sounds impossible, attaining blessing apart from God is infinitely more so. It cannot be done. So I urge you this morning to stop trying. Dr. Ferguson put it like this. He said, like a, living, like a loving father, God is saying, give me what is in your hands. And like a stubborn child, you mutter, no, I want what is in my hands. And so God replies, my dear child, I can't bless you with what is in my hands until you release what is in your hands. And so you look down at your hands, firmly grasping your self-reliance and strength, and you slowly begin to yield, opening your hands until you say, just take it. I didn't want it anyway. I thought I did. So God looks down. He takes away your self-reliance and strength, all the things that you adore and idolize that give you identity, and he replaces it with what you actually need. Himself. Listen, with nothing in his hands but God, in this moment, Jacob never, has never had so much in his entire life. And then, like a skilled surgeon, God pulls out his scalpel of truth. And he asks Jacob this identity-piercing question. He says, what is your name? On the college campuses in particular, the the word identity is quite the buzzword in our culture. Um, We have our national identity, our racial identity, our gender identity, our sexual identity, and most important, we have our NFL identity. Um, I am a devout Steelers fan. Um, We have all of these identities, and we're told that they're, for the most part, fluid and subjective, To each their own. And so to challenge someone's self-proclaimed identity is to commit the unpardonable American sin. And that's intolerance, or at least their understanding of it. And as a result, our colleges, especially my own, they have become the fiercest defenders of subjective humanism without understanding the objective basis of humanity. 
on their own and away from home for the first time. College students are wrestling with these things. And they're asking these identity-related questions. And I encourage them to ask these philosophical purpose-related questions like, who am I? You know, what makes me happy? Where do I find joy? What is my purpose? What gives my life meaning? What should I do with my life? These are great questions. And all of these questions, and so many more, are wrapped up in God's question to Jacob, what is your name? What is your name? If you recall, this wasn't the first time Jacob was asked this question. In Genesis 27, his blind father Isaac asked him essentially the exact same question, but he's asking it to Jacob to receive the identity of his older son, his firstborn, Esau. And Jacob responds, I am Esau, your firstborn. However, in Genesis 32, we know that God was not blind like Isaac. He knew exactly who he was wrestling You see, he already knew Jacob's name, but he wanted to know if Jacob knew his own name. And Jacob's a name that means deceiver, or trickster, or cheater, liar, means sinner. You see, Jacob's name was a description of his identity as a self-reliant and self-seeking sinner who sought blessing in fountains that could never quench his thirst. And so in Jacob's weakest yet greatest moment, he is finally honest about who he really is. And he says, my name is Jacob. In other words, I'm a deceiver, I'm a cheater, I'm a trickster, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve your grace. By giving his name, Jacob is confessing his sins. But God doesn't leave Jacob with his shameful name. And I love this. Instead, God gives him a new name that carries a new confession. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You see, by changing Jacob's name, he is changing his identity from one of self-reliance to divine dependence. The name Israel means God fights. God is saying, I will fight for you. I'll be your champion. I'll be your source of blessing. There's so much power in a name. Um, One of my favorite authors, Dr. Dan Allender, he says, "Our our identity is our name. Our name shapes who we are. And we love to hear our name. Um, Dale Carnegie found this to be true. He started a multi-million dollar business, largely based on teaching people to win friends and influence people by just using their name three times in a single conversation. My name is Jeff, which means God's peace, which is super ironic Because in in reality, my life has been one of fearful anxiety. Um, I know my parents picked my name largely because of its meaning. You know, they looked at the baby books and things like that. But in our culture, the meaning of our names, it doesn't typically shape us. 
We don't think about it on like a daily basis as we're going out on our way. But you know, the names, the descriptions, the verbs and adjectives that other people have attached to my name, that has certainly influenced my identity. Like hearing my parents say, I'm proud of you, Jeff. Or hearing my wife say, I love you, Jeff. These descriptions attached to my name, they are a better indicator of my identity. Now, if only I could remember these descriptions attached to my name for more than a day and let them shape my identity, my sense of self-worth and value. You see, I have also received other less uplifting names from others, but primarily from myself. And I'll be honest, I, I have called myself names that I wouldn't call my worst enemy. And how many of you can say the same? These wicked names that others and myself have given to me, they, they strive to strip me of the names that God has written on me. The names that God has written on you. Names like forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, sealed, co-heir with Christ, and my favorite, beloved child of God. How would our lives look if we let these names shape our identities? If we let these names shape our value and self-worth? Brothers and sisters, through faith in Christ, you have been renamed. You have been united to Jesus, which means you have been united to his name. You have been united to his person and work. You have been engrafted into the true Israel. In other words, God fights for you. God is your champion. You have been renamed. In verse 28, the greatest wrestling match of all time has to come to an end. It's done. And now with a, he's got a busted leg, a dislocated hip, and he has a new name. The most amazing thing happens next. God declares Jacob the winner. At the end of the match, Jacob's hand is raised. Once again, if you are anything like me, you're wondering, how is this possible? Jacob clearly lost. He's the one with the busted up leg. How is Jacob declared the winner? My friends, Jacob is declared the winner by losing. Jacob wins by losing his strength and self-reliance in order to gain God's grace. But his wrestling match with God was painful and it left a permanent mark. You don't just recover from a dislocated hip. You see, for the rest of Jacob's life, he would have a constant reminder of his absolute dependence on God's grace. So a few months ago, um, all the stress from our move to Colorado and all the pressures and the disappointments from my new ministry at the academy, they were, everything was beginning to boil. Um, I was tired, I was frustrated, and I was 
to be honest, I was bitter. I was bitter at the cadets. I was bitter at my family. I was bitter at God. I was bitter at just the whole situation, how everything had played out. And I felt like I just needed to get away. I needed to escape for a few hours to go to my happy place, if you will, to to refresh or recharge my batteries, if you will. I was searching for a blessing, and I didn't know where to look look for it. So what did I do? I picked up my snowboard, I jumped in my car, and I headed to the slopes. But I carried along with me my stress and anxiety. They were like strapped onto my back like an unwelcome passenger. You see, the, for the, during the first hour, while I'm snowboarding, all I can think about is my sermon from the night before. I'm critiquing myself and you know, just rehearsing it over and over in my head. I'm calling myself names. I'm saying, Jeff, you should have said this, or why didn't you say that? Some pastor you are. I couldn't shut it out for even an hour. During the second hour, I get a text from one of the cadets on my ministry team. He's one of like the leaders in my group. And he texts me and he says, hey, our service project that we've been planning for months, yeah, it's not going to happen because the cadets have some last-minute training that they have to attend. It's like, come on. I can't catch a break today. Shortly after... I get a call from another cadet, a freshman. And he tells me that he's been kicked out of the Air Force Academy. And he has no place to stay. So I ask him, well, why don't you go home? And he says that his dad was so ashamed of him that he wasn't welcome back home. And as we're talking, apparently your cell phones don't like the cold weather. Because mine goes, went from 60% power to zero, like while we're on the phone. All I wanted was like a peaceful, nice day on the slopes, clear my head, but instead I was now more stressed than ever before. So I'm angrily making my way down this, this run, and mind you, the Winter Olympics are going on at this time, and I really like Sean White, and... I have, um, you know, I I think that I can do things that I I probably shouldn't do. Um, I see this jump, this ski jump. It's beautiful. It's, like, well-groomed. And I'm like, that'll that'll make me happy. I've been watching Sean White. He looks so happy while he's soaring in the air like an eagle. (laughs) Next thing you know, I'm soaring. (laughs) But then I hit the ground. I tumble a few times. And then I just laid there, face first in the snow. And while I'm like lying in the snow, a few thoughts began to race through my head. First thought, I'm really hurt. Like, this is bad. I've never been hurt this bad before. Second thought, my phone is dead. And I'm on a run that no one else is on. So my phone is dead. I'm really hurt. Third thought, I'm all alone. I'm the wise guy. He came up here by himself. So I'm injured really bad. I'm alone. My phone's dead. Fourth thought. My wife is nine months pregnant. I have to get home. If I go to the clinic, they're going to put me on narcotics because my arm is hanging out. And they're going to keep me overnight. And I have to get home in case she goes into labor. 
Fifth thought that goes through my mind. My car is on the other side of the mountain. How am I going to do this? How am I going to get home? You see, I had to go down a run, up a ski lift, down another run, up a ski lift, and then down a third run to get to my car. All of this with six ruptured ligaments in my shoulder and a dislocated bicep. Oh, it was so painful. Man. But you know what? Somehow I made it home. Miraculously, I made it home. I had reconstructive shoulder surgery a few days later. But God used the worst injury of my life. He brought the most pain to bring me the most peace. The past three months, God has given me a perspective I needed before. It was through pain that God brought me peace. You know, my shoulder will never be the same. I'll have wires and screws holding it together for the rest of my life. Like Jacob, I'll always be reminded of this moment. You see, in in Genesis 32, Jacob walks away from his wrestling match with God, broken but blessed. He was lame, but he was now healed. He was limping, but he was finally free. In the words of one pastor, he said, Limping is the walk of those healed by the gospel. I love that. Limping is the walk of those healed by the gospel. And as we limp along in this life, we are reminded of those words from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, then I am strong. I need to wrap things up. So there's still something confusing about the story. We're left asking why. Why did God accommodate his strength instead of crushing Jacob like he deserved? And why did God bless Jacob instead of cursing him? And why did God declare Jacob the winner? As Christians on this side of the cross, we know why. God didn't crush Jacob because 2,000 years later, he crushed his own son in his place. And he didn't accommodate his strength this time. Now he threw his full weight on his own son so that Jacob and you and I would not be crushed as we deserve. And God didn't curse Jacob because Jesus, our sinless Savior, became our curse. He didn't just bear it. He became our curse so that we could receive God's blessing. And God could declare Jacob the winner because when Jesus was all alone, when his family and friends had abandoned him in the most frightening moment in his life, Jesus clung to the nails in his hands so that you and I and Jacob could cling to our Heavenly Father. My friends, on the cross, Jesus wrestled for and he won your blessing. This is great news. This is the best news. It means your terrible search is over. As believers in Jesus, you can stop wrestling for blessing from things that cannot bless you. Instead, limp over to the throne of grace and cast your strength, your self-reliance at the feet of Jesus and with outstretched and empty hands, 
receive the blessings of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are such a good, good God. Um, You love us unconditionally with a radical, steadfast, loyal love. Um, You have renamed us. You have called us your own. You fight for us. You are our champion. And we pray, Lord, that we will rest in this reality that Jesus Christ wrestled for and won our blessing. It's the Jesus' name we pray. Amen.